in UFC feed. This is Matt, and I'm joined again by Lucas. Lucas, it's good to see you. And although nobody really loves a Christmas reference in the middle of January, it's been a while since St. Nick visited, we haven't really had a chance to speak to each other since since that festive period. So tell me, how was your Christmas? Yeah, it was decent. Um, the, le- the less time, the, the time spent without my family was probably the better part. Uh, my girlfriend and I made a new tradition, which is a, a festive mac and cheese, which I really enjoyed. Was uh, that your I, Christmas dinner? Yeah, it was lush. We made buffalo chicken mac and cheese with crispy shallots. <laughs> wow. And, uh, uh, and I managed to get up to um, to the Leeds game and the Arsenal away game, so plenty of NUFC uh, content too. Well, I was going to say, did you see any decent Christmas telly, hoping you might fly in there with a, well, I saw his draw with Arsenal well that was how I spent my uh, Christmas anyhow I saw some great Boxing Day telly when we spanked Leicester (laughs) 3-0 away Um, that was was a really exciting game it was an excellent performance and it was um, it was so good to see us just pick up where we left off I think there's just a lingering habit from the Ashley era of Newcastle fans being nervous but we we dismantled Leicester. We we you know, and that was before like their injury crisis got more acute than it was. I think so. They didn't put out a bad side that day, and we had the game wrapped up in half an hour. Crikey! Now you mention it, I can't believe that Leicester game was actually Boxing Day. It's it's just been a whirlwind since the World Cup ended, hasn't it? Um, well, before we move on to the to the serious stuff, just tell me what was your best gift that you got for Christmas? And don't say three points, you cliche manager man. I knew that would be rumbling in that head somewhere. That's a good question. Um, my dad got me the uh, the Newcastle training jacket, like the wind the windproof one, not the like really heavy. Uh, one that Eddie wears on the sideline, but the ones you see the players run around in when it's raining, which I'm quite pleased with in uh, in jet ink blue. How about you? Ah, very good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. Uh, some of the training stuff. Uh, the one I wanted of the training gear more than anything was the was the jacket that Howe wore on the touchline last season, but you just couldn't seem to get it anywhere, which is typical of Castori. Really, the thing that I really wanted was uh, was unavailable. The the online club shop isn't great. I think there's been a lot of fans who've had similar experiences, to be honest. Um, I, I, I sympathise with you. On the subject of Howe and his clothes, a lot of people are saying he's put on some chuff. Uh, what do you reckon on Howe sure. Weight Watch? Chuff, it's buff, not chuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think he looks terribly well, and I wouldn't say anything other than that. No, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see it, to be honest. I mean, he obviously beefed up, didn't he, in the summer, but um, yeah. I think he looks, I think he looks, looks terribly well. Might just be the might just be the big coats, sort of you know you know when you wear like a, t- a tall collar and it sort of pushes up your <laughs> pushes up your jowls. Maybe it's just yeah. that that's happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I he he definitely looked like he'd been pumping tin out of the uh, out of off season, but um, I you know whatever as well, long as he's doing what he's doing, he can do what he wants. Frankly. He deserved an extra slice of turkey anyway, didn't he? Well, <laughs> as for my Christmas, um, I spent it in Ireland with my with my other half's family and his oh, cool. uh, her 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 um, her father is a is a big Liverpool fan. Oh, and dear. so what I got for Christmas was um a headache. Being, able to, being able to say seven points, seven points, <laughs> seven points every uh, you know every every meal because uh, I had spent Christmases there um when when Liverpool had beaten Newcastle. I remember one under Rafa Benitez when they won 4-0 and yeah, I remember the hideous game. Christmas. So um yeah. And to top it off, they lost to Brentford, didn't they, in the week? That's so. Um... They're an odd team right now, and I don't pay enough attention to really know what their attention to. I'm sorry to know what the deficiencies are, but some people that I play football with who support Liverpool are saying that their midfield is shot to pieces. But um, it's the same pattern with uh, 
with Klopp, isn't it? Like the seventh year at each club, things kind of go skew with for him. So I wonder if they'll give him the time to fix it. I hope they do. Despite his kind of weird money complaints, I still think he's a lovely, lovely coach to have in the Premier League. Oh, I don't know. I think I, uh, I could, I could live without. I, I could live with Klopp saying goodbye to the Premier League. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's, um, it's, it's a case of you think surely. And and the, when when we did the last podcast, they were in quite a good bit of form. And yeah. but you're right, they're a funny team. They're sort of in in and out in terms of form. I mean, Nunes and Salah, they they do have something. They do have something there, but it just hasn't totally clicked certainly in the case of uh, Nunes but um, hopefully they hopefully we keep them at bay so our cup double header began at Hillsborough on Saturday evening it was a painful evening now I'd like you Lucas to cast your mind back to Saturday evening and try not to lean on hindsight and tell me where did you stand on the weakened side at the time of the defeat so I thought that what the kind of report the attending media and watching fans didn't pick up on was that we were really unlucky because actually rotation was the right thing to do. I think how how was vindicated by the result and last night's game, which we'll talk about in a bit. But the issue being that the kind of the four main players you would have wanted us to bring in, one of them played but was rusty in his first game in literally three months in Ezark, and St Maximan was un- unavailable, Shelby was unavailable, and Target was unavailable, which meant we kind of had to go to the kind of really extreme depth reserves. And I don't think that would have been, that was the ideal plan. I kind of think that he had to do it and he, and he may as well have, because we needed to find out, to be honest. Um, with that said, I thought Howe made two, two small mistakes. The first was not starting Nick Pope. I don't think goalkeeping is exerting. Dubravka had only been here for a week or something. My understanding was that um, he turned up unexpectedly after the, the loan. He, he, he had a role in terminating the loan, as I understand it. And the other was not having Wilson on the bench. The reality was, if we needed a goal, the only person who we could probably say as a striker, bank, money, that guy will get us a goal. Even if it's 10 minutes of his time, we we should have relied on Wilson. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I stood on the team selection. How about you? I have to say, when I was when I was um, there with my crayons prior to the game and choosing my <laughs> own and choosing my lineup, it was similar to the one Hal put out in that it was heavily rotated. Um, so, and the thing is that, Ultimately, we were un- we were unlucky on, or not maybe not unlucky, but it's not like it's not like the team, it's not like the team were battered two one. No, they no. missed their chances, and 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 I have to say, um, I'm I'm glad in a way. I'm not happy we lost, of course. I, I, I think it, I think it was a sensible move by how, and I'm glad in a way that we got to see Matt Ritchie have a good performance. I thought Ritchie was arguably our best player on the night. There was one particular run in the first half where he. You know, he pelted through, and it was like Craggy is Almiron on the. Oh, hang on, it's Richie, yeah. and just sadly, he didn't. He didn't have that moment where he, where he skied it, not as badly as Woods' chance, but uh, he did sky one over the bar in the second half. And I wish that had gone in. What a fantastic moment that would lovely, have been! Lovely move, and I think the same applies to Mankia. I think um, you and I had had a conversation a few days prior about the fullbacks, and um, I didn't know where I stood on Mankia. I'd never been sure about him, to be honest. And actually, I thought he played really well. Um, very good offensively as well, and he he looked like he kind of fit fit right in, kind of like a Lego piece to Howe's, um intense pressing system. I thought he was really impressive, and actually, it might mm-hmm. have lessened the the urgency of a call for a for a young backup right back to Trippier. Yeah, I I, I will. I'm going to be upfront 
and I will I will tell our listeners what I said because I'm happy to renege on that. I declared that Mankio was utter shite. They were my yep. words. That's what I said, <laughs> and I was wrong. I think I think I saw him in the Palace League Cup game and he didn't have a good one. And I was thinking, well, he must be done here. But no, he did play well, and it would be good if um, you know if he can if he can be a reliable backup whenever he's whenever he's needed. But yeah. you know, he probably. Well, he maybe has more of a future than Jamal Lewis. Lewis was um, Lewis had a bad game. I'm I'm not sure what the purpose of him is now. Um, I think he only played because of the problem I mentioned earlier about Target not playing. He looked totally unsure of, of himself. He didn't seem to have the self. There was no self confidence. He made two or three mistakes really quickly in the second half. He made two. I remember quite nice tackles. One of which led to a good pass as well. But he looked positionally suspect. He didn't look, um, he didn't look confident going forward. And I kind of think it might go down as a, as a, you know, an Ashley error experiment gone wrong. I'd be surprised if he gets more minutes this season. But um, I'm, I'm not privy to training. Yes, uh, he, he could do with a loan, really, couldn't he? I think we'll we'll come on to we'll come on to later in the podcast. We'll come into come on to potential outgoings, and I dare say Lewis's name might come up again. I was more concerned about Jamal Lascelles. Actually, I didn't realise how much he'd regressed. I thought he had a really poor game, and he was bullied by League One strikers. Which, when I saw the lineup, I thought, well, I would have had Lascelles because League One teams are normally. I don't want to patronise Sheffield Wednesday because they were. I guess they were worth their win. There's someone at work who annoys me who's a Sheffield Wednesday fan, so I don't want to give them too much praise. But oh, I thought I thought Lascelles would be a kind of good candidate for heading balls away and sort of muscling up to them. And he was he was bullied off the ball. His passing was erratic. He um, he had a really really poor game. I guess he didn't his, look at home, did he? In that backline, and it's just his decision making as well. I can remember one particular incident in the second half, which I don't think led to anything, but he just came charging out of the backline to 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 press. I think an attacker who we thought was going to receive the ball, but that attacker didn't receive the ball, and suddenly he was just stranded in the middle of the pitch, well out of the back line. And uh, yes, it it is a Jamal Lascelles used to be one of my, and I still I respect the respect the guy very much. So I think he's yeah. clearly a good leader in the dressing room by all accounts. But he really was around you know twenty sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. He was one of my favourite players in the in the squad, and I even think he was knocking on the door of the England squad in. <laughs> in, in Rafa's first season back up in the Premier League, yeah, there was really the song. <laughs> we had the song for it in the corner. Um, Southgate's got his number. He's taking him to Russia. Jamal sells. So I think you're <laughs> right. I think that was probably more Newcastle fans than reality. Um, I agree with you. I've got a lot of time for him. I, I kind of think that him being people's favourite was quite easy because it wasn't a particularly impressive bunch of characters to choose from. But certainly he was a good clubman at a time where we needed good clubmen. And he was kind of Rafa's general on the pitch. And I'll always appreciate him for that. But it's it's time for him to move on now, I think. But yes, in terms of in terms of uh, other positives from the night, because there were a few, um, Isaac looked sharp, I think, despite missing the chances. Um, and... Um... You know, we I had the, it was it took a couple of good saves to prevent him from from actually getting on the score sheet. So it's really exciting having him back in the squad, isn't it? Fit and available. Oh, absolutely. And I guess we'll touch upon it when we talk about Callum Wilson later. But we need it. I mean, it. it I've come to the conclusion. I think that that while, and I'm probably gonna, you know people won't agree with me, but Chris Wood isn't a bad striker, but it's not working for him here. He doesn't look like he can um he can fit into what we're doing. So yeah, it's it's good to have a viable alternative. And, you know, he's our big summer signing. So everyone's absolutely desperate to see him play. 
So yes, it wasn't to be in the FA Cup, um, but uh, but 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 there was a chance of redemption right around the corner, and. That, of course, was last night's fantastic victory over Leicester City. Um, it was a belter of a night, wasn't it? I think it has to be one of my favourite nights since the takeover. It had that vibe of of the Arsenal 2-0 game, of the Everton 3-1 game, where we just pummeled yeah. and, you know, we really, really deserved it. It was one of those, you know, by halftime, I was feeling a little bit worried because it was suddenly several games in a row where we weren't converting our chances. Yeah. But who else... But the big man, big Dan Byrne, he bulldozes through and, and, and finds the back of the net. What what did you make of the occasion? Uh, I totally agree with you. I love the comparison to the 2-0 Arsenal game. Very similar in terms of how the game played out, but also in terms of the timing of the goals and things like that. Um, I I also agree with you about the concern about the, the sort of... Um, the not clinical nature of our finishing. And actually, there was another feature of the Wednesday game that... Um, that came up in my mind. I thought the same thing against Leeds. We missed a hatful of chances for Leeds at home. So I was starting to get slightly concerned, but I kind of thought it has to be a matter of time. We are, we're pulverising these. And I love the way we came out in the second half and hit the post straight away. It was almost as if Leicester, we're just saying to Leicester, look, okay, we gave you a little breather and now you're right back at it. And the Gallagher really, really um, rose with it. I've, I've noticed a trend with our fans. We tend to kind of get really rabbly rousy second half more than there's kind of a big go of it in the first five ten minutes and there's not an early goal we kind of quiet down the second half so we come into our own the burn goal was I think will go down as one of the most beautiful moments in whatever turns out to be the <laughs> tenure of Eddie Howe people were yeah. crying people were crying I, I felt very emotional about it it was a it was a beautiful moment it was a lovely goal um it really that, was he that, took it well but the first time pass from Joe Linton I thought was the best part of it I love the fact that it came from harrying and pressing up top yeah. when it just like so, so our identity. It was actually, Dan Byrne actually won the ball back in the first instance. Yes. And then it was won back a second time by Willock, I think it was. But but at the, at the, at the very beginning of the, of the, of the press effectively, it was actually Dan Byrne's tackle. So he really did begin and end that move. Agreed. And Actually, I now have a question for you to pose. I'd be interested to get your opinion on it. I was watching with my, I was watching in in London with my friend David, who's who's from Newcastle but lives down here. He um he he doesn't like burn at left back. He finds it frustrating. He says it doesn't offer he doesn't offer what you need going forward. And I don't actually agree. I think if you watch us closely, he is pretty handy going forward. It's just that his instructions are to remain by and large behind with Botman and Cher in the 3-5-2. But when the occasion calls for it and we've caught the other team in the press, he does bomb on. And actually, I think his crossing, his passing is pretty decent. His heading seems to be his weaker side of his game. Where do you stand on Burn as the offensive left-back? I think he's done really well. There was an interesting graphic, um, which you may have seen, anyone watching the Sky Sports coverage may have seen last night, of it was sort of... Half an hour in, in so you know, thirty minutes in in the first half, where they showed where everybody's positions were on the pitch, and Dan Burns, like number on this graphic, was sort of a, more central than you'd actually sort of expected to see. But mm. I think it was just because he was all over the place. He covers so much ground in the left back area. He's just as adept at coming inside as he as he is at doing that overlap that you see everybody doing. You see all, all the. All the um, wingers and fullbacks, you'll see if someone's got the ball on the edge of the box, you'll see the other other player darting around the outside. He does that just as effectively. He also comes inside effectively. And I think the fact that that graphic showed him 
sort of in no man's land because it's obviously worked on an average, isn't it? Yeah. Um, shows that he, the, the way, you know, the, the, the amount of ground he covers in that position. Technically speaking, it probably isn't the best, but um, there was a there was a chance in the, uh, was it the Leeds game? Or, no, it was that chance... Um, Oh, I forget who it was. I forget which opponent it was, but it was a it was a miss from Almiron where Dan Byrne had got to the got to the goal line at the Gallagher end and whizzed one across low to the ground, and all all Miggy had to do was just knock it in. But he just sort of it was that occasion where he just sort of he almost cushioned it and didn't didn't put enough purchase on it. I can't remember which game. I think that was the League Cup tie against Bournemouth. Almiron. Ah, there. yes, yeah. yeah, that's that's right. That was the one. So you know, Burn is is just as effective, in my opinion, at at the overlap, and that's obviously crucial to to house setup. I agree with you, and I I think what people don't realise, he's so good with the, with the ball at his feet. He's got lovely, big, big, lovely feet. You know, he's he's so technical. He's so adept. I like the fact that if you take out say Maximum, two of our, our our two most skillful players are probably the two sort of six foot middle bean poles in him and Isaac. It's it's really interesting, and it's just lovely to watch someone do that when it doesn't it doesn't quite look right or what you'd expect. Um, yeah. I remember when he joined, I was reading a quote from Graham Potter sort of wishing him well and um mm-hmm. I can't remember the context of it but he said something like if anyone doesn't think that Dan Byrne is an incredibly good footballer they don't know what they're talking about and whatever's going on with Potter at Chelsea I don't think it's Potter's fault I think Chelsea are a really strange club right now but um but he's a serious coach he knows players and he knows mm-hmm. ability and I thought okay well for 10 million I think we might got a steal and we have done he's been yeah fantastic he's been a he's been a belter of a signing he's been yeah. an absolute belter of a signing and the goal like you say it, it was emotional and it reminded me of Jose Enrique's goal <laughs> way back in Forest you know very similar in the way even on the right foot and just the just the the thrill the, th- the thrill of the goal was was just was something really special, and its significance. And in that, in that game, no, wait, in the Forest game when Enrique scored in the championship, did that turn it two 0 or was that for one nil? It was the second goal, so yeah, Shola had so already put this way around. Shola, it was Shola with a lovely goal as well, actually. But it the was it was, it was a goal. It was like because Forest were third, so if we won, it was like yeah, it's done now. Um, even though I don't think it was mathematically. So when Enrique's goal went in, it was like that's it. Um, so yes, now I wanted to I wanted to suggest something to you um, oh. about the, the the looking at looking at the two cup games as a as a whole almost. Now, is there some on an emotional level? Is there something beneficial to having lost the first game? Because from my point of view. The Leicester, the, I, the Leicester game was probably the game I felt most up for the whole season, despite all the tense matches we've had and all the exciting possibilities we've had ahead of matches. Losing the Sheffield Wednesday game just gave the Leicester game a bit of an edge and made the victory all the more sweeter, in my opinion. What, what do you reckon? Am I talking rubbish? No, it's a really good question. I hadn't thought it from that angle. In, in Where I got myself to post-Sheffield Wednesday was if we had to lose one of the games in this congested um, fixture period, the Premier League game against Fulham and the one before against Arsenal, the League Cup quarter final, or the FA Cup. I wanted, I, I, but the FA Cup was the one I'd be happy happiest with losing, if that makes sense. If, and as we found out, we don't have the squad for it. Um, I think for me, it probably kind of emotionally speaking added a little bit more pressure onto the league the league cup game but that might just mm-hmm. be me being being neurotic i kind of thought okay well he's made that decision so it kind of 
not only is it a pressure occasion given our you know trophyless history it adds an extra layer because okay you gambled and it didn't go wrong and so for the gamble to pay mm-hmm. off like the only bit of the gamble that's now going to pay off is that you at least win this game so it brought yeah. a bit of pressure to the game I thought and I think maybe that might have contributed to the crowd I don't know how you saw it I thought the crowd flattened after the opening salvo of 15 minutes of just an absolute pummeling of Leicester well, it's, it did seem to. It did seem to. And I think that the, my, my reasoning for that, it, it comes from, the, the seed of it comes from the Ashley era and those spells, particularly under Bruce, where the feeling had all but gone. Um, you know, yeah. it was either apathy or rage. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I think, um, you know, suddenly I'm this junkie after the hit <laughs> of, the, of, of the highest possible emotion. And it's almost like it takes a defeat to to sort of pile on the emotion of the following game. And I just think it did. And it was just a bit of a, a bit of an emotional crescendo, particularly with the, particularly with it being Byrne who were, uh, you know, sort of won the night. Agree. We shouldn't also got just a special mention for the, the Joe Linton goal, which was fantastic. Joe Linton yeah. was my man of the match. I thought he was, and we talk about this a lot, how good Joe Linton is. The man is, um, the man is just like a hoover of grass and space and ball. He's, <laughs> he's wonderful. Um, I think back on the loss, it's not, again, for me, not really an emotional point, but as you know, I watch a lot of American sports and um, the team that I follow in the NFL, the Philadelphia Eagles, have claimed the number one seed in the in the NFC. And their, and their coach was mentioning, it might have been their coach, it might actually have been my friend Mike. <laughs> I was talking about it. He said, <laughs> a bit of adversity is always a good thing for like learning and self-improvement as a team. And yeah. actually, yeah, I think there are loads of valuable lessons to learn from the Wednesday game, principal among them being like, look, you know, uh, over owners we're not pressuring you to bias anyone right now because you've done a you've pretty much been absolutely perfect since you bought mm-hmm. us um putting aside the you know worries about the connection to Saudi Arabia and whatnot which I don't want to get into and I don't think you do either um not tonight I think it just kind of showed yeah that you know there is that hangover from the Bruce era and we've kind of forgotten about it because we've actually been we haven't had we've had some injuries but not kind of a spate of them like Leicester have had that have meant we've had to rely on these players. I guess the flip side of that is, would it have been interesting to see what Howe would have made of the, the, you know, the bottom of the squad players if they had to plug in and go? I remember when we were discussing the Jamal Lewis point with our friend Paul, and he was sort of saying, well, you know, when, when Howe first came, Lewis had a run before he got injured again, mm-hmm. where he did look good. So maybe if those if those players did have more first-team time, we might have seen similar output from them, that, you know, similar improvement from them like we've seen in Almiron, Joe Linton. And I say it with a bit a big asterisk now, because I've gone off him quite sourly in the last few weeks, Jacob Murphy. Mm. I think I think Murphy... Yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know how much I don't know how much more of Jacob Murphy I can take. <laughs> so yes, 2-0 against Leicester City. A fantastic night, a fantastic win, and on we go into the semi-finals. So Lucas, do you have a preference of who we might face in the semis? And just for fun, can we win this thing? We can absolutely win it. I make us joint second favourites of Manchester United behind Manchester City um, and as to who I prefer us playing I'd, I'd prefer not to get Manchester City obviously because it's a tough game but I fancy us to give anyone a great game at home I'd like to get um, Nottingham Forest to be honest because they're my dad's team so it'd be a nice kind of occasion with me and him if we were to um, to get them at James Park what about you? And that would be winnable <laughs> Very much so well, My preference I think I would just I would just love to beat Man United in a final I, I think that would just be um, 
a magical occasion. I guess we'll just have to see. There's a couple of uh, a couple of pieces will be landing on the website shortly. Uh, one of which penned by Lucas. One of which penned by one of our other contrib- contributors, David. Um, now, Lucas, your piece is all about Callum Wilson and the and more broadly the strikers. Um, there's some there's some debate, isn't there, with regards to with regards to what's to come for Wilson yeah. and indeed the other strikers. Now, you make the argument in this uh, in this article that firstly. I've got two things to two things to mention. Firstly, that Wilson is the best striker we've had since Shearer. Yeah. So we'll come back to that. Mm. And secondly, that his future perhaps is as a more rotational striker. Now, explain yourself. Can I start with the second one? Because I think I know where you're going to go with the first one. Go um, ahead. I think the reality, as I set out in the article with, with sort of his playing record over the last, um, I think over five or six of his last eight years in the Premier League, or his last seven years, whatever it's been, um, the, the guy's had a variety of different injuries, different causes, muscular, um, ligamental, um, different parts of his body, knee, thigh, hamstring, calf. And he's also clearly predisposed, I think, to to COVID. COVID has caused him a long a problem. He's not quite been right since that Southampton away game when he when he, uh, he went off and he hasn't scored many since then. So, um, again, with the caveat that I adore him, I just think the reality is when we, if we achieve the aim of competing and not just competing, but going deep on four fronts um, next year and beyond, we, we can't rely on Callum, Callum Wilson to be the main man. We, we might be able to, but it's definitely, you know, the minority chance as opposed to the majority, I would say. So I think given that we know that when he's fit and firing, which is, you know, when he is playing, it's more often than not, he will score goals. That's a very valuable commodity, a proven Premier League goal scorer. He shouldn't waste that. But I think the issue is, as we've seen with Chris Wood, it's hard to find a backup, Right put aside Isaac for a second because this has been exacerbated by Isaac being unavailable for his first three months, four months here, however long it's been. But it's going to be difficult to, now we've got Isaac as well to persuade someone to say, look, we, we want someone else to come in and be reli- a reliable goal scorer, right? But you're actually essentially going to be third on the depth chart. Or you're going to be rotated in and out. If you're doing that with a proven striker, you're either going to look at a significant overpay, probably in terms of wages, or you're perhaps looking at someone who has had a you know, patchy injury record, which we don't want instead of Wilson, or maybe a reputational issue, which we don't want due to the way how operates the squad, right? So um, I think kind of a young flyer who uh, who has a strong reputation in the game already, but clearly has some coaching and development, has some coaching to be done to him and has room to develop, but who could step in and contribute as a threat quickly and straight away is probably the right way forward. And I think Wilson might go for that as well, because at the age, he's going to be 31 in a few weeks. Happy birthday, Callum, in advance, if you're listening. Um if you say to him, look, you know, you're going to be a rotational player. When you're fit, you're going to play more often than not, but we are going to have to manage your load and you're going to be doing it for an elite European club. I think he might take that, bearing in mind that he's an incredibly confident and self-assured guy. I think he'd back himself to remain the main man. I think that would be a good attractive option for him. So what you're saying is in a year or two's time, the best, the best third choice striker we could possibly get would be Callum Wilson. 
in a, in a roundabout way, potentially, because I, I think what we'd have to try and do is not say anyone is number one. We'd essentially say, look, we've got three players for two positions on the field because Ezark can play as a wide forward as well. And you'd say, look, Callum, the reality is you can't train five, six days a week at full intensity like the others because you will get injured. Look, Callum, you can't regularly play as hopefully will happen two to three games a week regularly because you put at risk getting injured. So there are going to be games. You might call them lower leverage games. You might do it in the domestic cups. I don't know how they do it. Knowing how, he might do it to adapt the tactics according to who we're playing. And you might get, say, Yusufa Mukoko, who we were linked with the other day. I'm not sure how true that is, but you might say he's someone who can come in and spell you, but also grow with us, given that Wilson might not be around for more than two or three more years. So tell me, would you? I mean, I know we're we're not in charge of the we're not in charge of the accounts. It's not our money at Newcastle United. But just hypothetically speaking, if somebody came along and offered somewhere close to what we paid for Wilson um, in the summer, say, would you be tempted to let him go? Or would you think no, we want to keep him? No, absolutely not. No, I mean, I, in, in my in my opinion, you don't sell proven Premier League players. Sorry, um, proven Premier League goal scorers. It's not a good idea. It's not like he's tailing off. It's not like he's not performing well when he's playing. I would say the only time I'd start looking at that would be, has has he missed so much time that even that rotational plan isn't working? Then you might look to recoup some of his value. Yeah, but no, I mean, genuinely, I think he's in, I don't know, let me just, I'm going to pluck a figure out of my backside, but sort of the top, top five, ten strikers in the division, in my opinion. Certainly, in terms of finishing, I think he is, and and I think I would agree with you. He's 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 a he's a, he's obviously a leader in the dressing room. He comes across as a bit of an alpha, you know, along with the likes of Dan Byrne and Trippier. Yeah. And I think he loves it here, and I think he loves how. So, I agree that hopefully in the future he isn't going to be the one that we're going to be relying on as much because he just isn't reliable. But I'd be devastated to see him go, for instance, in the summer. I'd be so, so sorry to see that happen. I don't think that now, will happen. I don't think there's any prospect of that happening. Likewise, likewise, because I doubt anybody would probably stump up the the fee that we would that would a fee that would tempt us to sell. So that's a good thing. We we we're we're both members of the Callum Wilson fan club and will be in perpetuity. Now the <laughs> other point, like I said, um, so let's see, let's see, Poppy Caesar, Denver Bar, Oberfemi Martins. Andy Carroll, Mark One, Loic Remy, Luke De Jong, Callum Wilson. <laughs> so I think we'll we'll remove Luke De Jong from the equation straight away. Although- Riviere, then. <laughs> Riviere, he had a nice cartwheel on him. To be fair, and I quite liked his hair. Um, <laughs> he looked, he looked class, didn't he? As in his appearance, it was like he turned up yeah. like. Well, he's obviously going to be mint. But he wasn't really. He was Bobbins. That's a very simplistic way of saying it, but I don't think anyone can offer. All of those players that you mentioned were certainly talented, certainly scored some good and important goals, right? But none of them were consistent for, you know, more than I'd say a year, a year and a half. So Barr, I'd say of those you mentioned seriously, Barr is the is the is the most, you know, is the most serious competitor for the mantle that I've awarded Dear Callum. Denver Bar played really, really well for us from when we signed him through to January. And then thanks to some scientific Alan Pardew, we moved him out to the wing to accommodate Cissé. And then Cissé was brilliant for us for, for six months and Bar barely scored. And then from then on in, neither of them 
were particularly consistent. I think Cissé still scored at a clip of once every sort of maybe three, three and a half games, but he wasn't the same strike, he wasn't reliable, and he had a horrible mm. tendency to, to miss sitters. And I think the thing that poisons Bar, and this is what disqualifies Remy in my mind too, is that he couldn't wait to get out of there. And I find mm. I found that quite yeah. disappointing. Like, you know, like I get that why you'd come to the club that we were at that time and insist on a uh, on a relatively low release clause because getting stuck there wasn't great for your career. But I think that was his best spell in club football, personally. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't think loyalty, I don't think, you know, players should be loyal to teams. I think as fans we impose that on players and that's not right. But I thought there would have been a little bit more love from him. You know, actually yeah. I don't want to go and be a backup at Chelsea. I don't want to go and play no, that's not true. They even if they played dull football under Mourinho, they played better football than us. But I kind of thought he would have felt actually I'm kind of enjoying the relationship I have with the fans and I kind of want to stay a bit longer. But actually the moment the money came in, he was like, Yep, I want out, see you. Yeah. Denver Bar's loves, as it turned out, in a in, in ascending order was <laughs> having having a bloody lovely time under Alan Pardew at Newcastle United. The money at Chelsea and then strawberry syrup. Obviously. He loved the syrup, yeah. didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I love the syrup. Um, <laughs> um, well, I would like to. I would like to um, offer my shout as the cool. as the best since Shearer. I, I, Wilson is right up there, and every time he goes on one of those spells, I'm like, do you know what? He might be. Um, but my shout is Andy Carroll in the year 2010. So that was effectively the second half of the Championship promotion season and the first half of the first season back yeah. just before he left. He was, un- he was unplayable for that period. He was. twenty. I think he scored something like um, 27 goals in that uh, spell. Some, somewhere around. I think that might be, a, I might be over-egging that, but he was, he, he was really coming. He was really coming on and it was obviously his second stint isn't worth talking about, but I, I was, all, I'll always have a sadness at the fact a Geordie number nine who was playing so well left. I thought he was, um, I thought he was exceptional that year. And I think the sadness you mentioned is probably what discounts him in my mind. And again, I, I don't buy the account that it was his choice to go. I think it was forced upon him. Um, but again, he he didn't have that level of play consistently. Whereas Wilson's into his third season with us, and again, with with what is a caveat, when he's been fit, he's been a reliable goal scorer. Um, I think the interesting thing with Carroll remains that he his career just didn't really go anywhere after he left us. He, yeah. he performed well at West Ham, you know, occasionally. He's never made it at Liverpool. And I guess, yeah, the sadness of the exit. But a lot of these players suffer the, for the fact that they are associated with us during the, the Mike Ashley years, whereas Wilson has the extreme benefit of being the, the guy as we moved out of the Mike Ashley years, but also as we very quickly have become a seriously competitive club. Now, just before we move on to our final section, I'm just going to end this one by launching a piece of trivia at you. Now, can you tell me where is Andy Carroll playing his football now? Who does he play for? Reading, correct. Yeah. I don't know why I bother. No, your trivia, your your trivia is, uh, is 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 pretty pretty strong. I don't know why I thought I could catch you out. No, your yes. your 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 sports quizzes are wonderful. What? How's he doing at Reading? Out of interest. Well, I'm only looking on Wikipedia here, but it looks like he's having a decent season by his standards. I suppose he's scored four goals in sixteen appearances. So good for um, him. I I don't mind absolutely. him. I'm okay with him, and he, you know, he's he's he comes across in the times I've seen him. He's come across as a fairly amiable fellow, and you know, yes. nice that he's still playing. 
Yeah, I, I have to say, I, I, I never had, I never had too much of agreements with Carol, and he was my pick for best post cheerer, particularly just that, just that year, like I said. Anyhow, um, we're going to end the show today by talking about another piece of uh, literature for your for your viewing pleasure that will land on the website that's www.nufcfeed.com in the coming days now there's a team of us here at nufc feed myself and lucas are two of them there's a there's a there's an army of uh, of inverted commas experts we're not really who are also anorax <laughs> anorax exactly anorax um and we decided things it's january we'd all have a go at um putting forward some transfer suggestions, suggestions of players that Newcastle United fairly realistically should, could purchase. Now, we've each given uh, a top pick and we've each given an honourable mention. So, Lucas, why don't you start? What was your top pick? I'll give um, mine. With the, you know, on the grounds that it had to be a sensible signing, um, I nominated Jack Harrison, um, primarily because he's used to playing in a very intense pressing game. Um both offensively and defensively. And I think we could do with a kind of third winger behind Almiron and St. Maximan on the grounds that too often the next porter call is Jacob Murphy and then it looks like Ryan Fraser might be off. So I think he'd immediately approve the side. Um, I think he's good with sort of one-touch football and I think he's good for a goal or two. To be honest. I think his scoring statistics in their first season back under Bielsa were quite impressive. Um, I think he's an industrious player. He seems to kind of... This is a sort of, not meant to be a sort of overgenerous comment. He seems to me to be a how player, and I'd imagine we could get him without you know whatever constitutes silly money now. Whether whether Leeds would sanction a sale at this point in time is another question. Yes, and it's a link that obviously appeared quite a lot in the summer, but doesn't appear to have re-emerged in January. However, yeah, Jack Harrison, I think he, you know his, his, his statistics would suggest would suggest that he would fit into house pressing game. Now, my top pick. Um, was now I'm going to have to be completely honest here. Um, I haven't seen a lot of Jeremy Frimpong, who was my pick. Jeremy Frimpong, that is a uh, fullback at Bayer Leverkusen. Um, however, with the assistance of uh, YouTube and websites such as FB Ref and Transfer Market and and what have you, uh, Jeremy Frimpong. Well, we need it. We need some backup to Trippier, and this young right back. A Manchester City uh, product, I believe, at one point, um, Dutch player. Um, he sort of looks looks like a good option. You know, he went to he went to the World Cup with the Holland squad, and um, he just looks like a quick, productive fullback who could be moulded. And when you think of the quality and the wisdom of Trippier, you know, any young talented fullback coming into the squad um, has has an opportunity to develop. So I think we need a fullback, and Frimpong from Bayer Leverkusen looks like a good option. Good shout. Is he related to Emmanuel Frimpong? I the for, don't the former, know. The former Arsenal destroyer, who's who was famously serenaded with the song of Frimpong merrily on high. Um, maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. He possibly. Do you know what? I just can't resist googling it. Yeah. Um, so um, and we can know, edit it to make it sound like you do. Or our listeners can enjoy the tipping tapping sound of my uh, <laughs> of my keyboard as I find it. Um. Oh, his Wikipedia doesn't have a doesn't have a personal life section. How 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 infuriating. No. Oh, I don't know. Okay, well, let's just edit <laughs> that question out then, and just maybe have me um, singing from Pong merrily on high. <laughs> You know what? It's good content. It's good content. Right. Who was your honourable mention? Um, 
It was Yuri Tielemans, and I don't know if it's any more or less realistic than Harrison. It might actually be more realistic than Harrison. I, I, I don't know enough about Leicester's financial ills and what's going on. Um, my understanding is he's in his last year of his contract, and they might look to make money make money on him simply because what Howe's been saying. What, He's very he's very good at politics. He's similar to Rafa. He's very good at actually you know, saying what he needs to say to get out of the moment. But I think he is saying, speaking some element of the truth when he says it is going to be dictated to some extent by Shelby. Sorry, by injuries. And I think the fact that Shelby's injured again probably means that we are looking at a more deep lying. I hate the phrase, but you know, like quarterback, deep lying, raking pass kind of midfielder. And your you know, NFL NFL uh, yeah, yeah. influence coming the, the J- Jalen Hurts of Newcastle. But um, you know, as we discussed before, I'm you know I'm a big Shelby fan, and I think Tielemans is a superior player to him. So it would make sense if Leicester are looking to sell, and if we think, well, maybe Shelby can't handle the intensity of Howe's game because he's had two separate muscular injuries. But yeah, I think Tielemans isn't a bad shout. Tielemans would be a good signing again, one that has been linked with us alongside Madison and with Rogers sort of saying, um, he said the other day, didn't he, that the Leicester hierarchy need to say. Thanks and goodbye to any um, any any players at Leicester who were who were itching about their contracts and what have you. So you never know. Tealmans might be might some be interesting things that he's been saying in that regard. Actually, I thought his response to the Madison question last night was interesting. He he offered a complete non-answer about that. I thought that was very strange. I mean, James Madison will be tasty, and I believe James Madison is uh, Phil's shout of the uh, of, of our colleagues at the NUFC feed. Phil, I think Phil was going for uh, James Madison, so we had to include him somewhere. Uh, my honourable, my honourable mention again. I'm going with the wannabe hipster thing. Um, haven't seen this guy in the flesh, um, but Galeno Wanderson Galeno of FC Porto, a oh. tricky left winger, storming. Sorry, Wanderson. Wanderson, a wand of a left foot, maybe. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what foot he is. Great uh, I think a storming season in the Portuguese league. 27 appearances, 10 goals, 4 assists. Um, we need somebody who's got a bit more consistency than Maxi. We need another winger, in my opinion. Um, so he was my uh, outside outside shout alongside um, Jeremy Frimpong. Two players that I haven't seen in the flesh once. <laughs> Not seen on television once, but... Who cares, hey? We've got FB Ref and YouTube these days. Do you so, think uh, in, a, in a world where we didn't have to do jobs we don't want to do, do you think you would sort of bury yourself in a career as a football scout? I think you'd be quite good at it. Well, tell you what, let's get on the blower to Howe, tell him to sign <laughs> them too, and then we'll evaluate my ability as a scout. But it sounds fun, sounds fun. <laughs> right, we'll quickly touch upon, before we go, we'll quickly touch upon um, outgoings. Now, Lucas, who do you think could do with a move, whether it's on loan or permanently this month? Um, I think we're probably looking at kind of straight flush of Scotsman, basically, um, all for different reasons. I think Ryan Fraser, who I think is undervalued and underrated, when he, there have been periods for Newcastle when he has played quite well and he has had some assists and scored some goals, but it looks like he wants to leave because he wants to be a starting left winger somewhere. Fair enough. Let's see if he can get that move. Matt Ritchie, which I think is more just because the guy is past sell-by date um, and he's been a really good clubman for us. I've enjoyed him being a member of the squad. I thought he actually was better than, than Townsend, who he was signed to replace, and he would leave with, with, with my best wishes. I hope something works out for him. Um, and also Elliot Anderson. I, I'm not at all on the Elliot Anderson bandwagon. I've never watched him play a game of football and thought, well, there's a player. I, he, he's gone from kind of 
contributing in a League Two run in where he did play very well in League Two to suddenly kind of being involved in a in a Premier League team chasing elite European competition because we kind of didn't have the depth of squad going back to that same issue. And the times I've seen him play, I've thought, no, he's he's not there. So I'd like to see him loaned out to a League One or Championship side to see if um, if he rises above that level in the same way he did at League Two for the mighty gas. Good shouts, good shouts. Well, I think certainly two of those three, the only thing they need is um, inverted commas next to the word Scots. But uh, yes, the triumvirate of Scots, those are the ones that could probably do with the move. I agree with you on Fraser. I think he's won his race here. Richie, likewise, I think he's been one of the best value for money signings we've possibly ever made. And Anderson, yeah, we just don't know yet, do we? We'll get him out, get him out to the championship, get him some more regular football. Right, well, Lucas, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you again. I think we've uh, we've covered we've covered everything we need to cover this time. Um, here's to a semi-final victory, and here's to players being signed based only on FB ref suggested by idiots on a podcast. And here's to Newcastle having a player called Wanderson. <laughs> That's all, folks. See you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>